Are you guys ready for the word? Come on. All right. At least you're excited about that. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Boy, do I tell you I have a word on my heart. I have a word on my heart. I am jazzed. I'm like Red Bull excited. I'm espresso elated, okay, to preach this word tonight. Um, I am jonesing for what God is going to do. And I'm really excited. And I hope, listen to me, I say that to you to to try to provoke you a little bit, to lean in with me. I'm going to lean in. Can I just tell you, I'm going there. Like, I'm going to go all the way, um, but it'll be real weird if you don't go with me. So I want to encourage you, go with me tonight. Lean in. You came all the way to church. You might as well get something out of it. You already used your gas to get here. Or you mooched on a friend and you used their gas. And the least you could do for them is pay attention while you're here. Okay? So let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse 2. I believe so. Yes, I was right. Matthew chapter 11. We'll start reading at verse two. It says this, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this. He asks him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the portion of scripture that God led me to tonight. And I really do believe that if you will lean into it, it will lean back into you. I really do believe that God is gonna do something special in your heart. And tonight, just for the next couple moments that we're gonna share, I wanna preach a message that I'm calling this, the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt. Can you get with that? Good, because that's all I got. The benefit of the doubt. If you are a note taker, I want you to title your notes, the benefit of the doubt. If you are taking, if you're doing something on your phone, I'm just going to tell myself you're taking notes, okay? Because I get real insecure when you start scrolling Instagram, all right? So if you're taking notes, just title it, the benefit of the doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you now for the moments that we share. Lord, I thank you that we're not in your presence because we're in a church. We're not in your presence because we're inside of four walls. We're not in your presence because there's somebody who came with something to say tonight or a, a chord was strummed or a vocal was sung. Lord, I thank you that, that none of that makes it your presence. Lord, you are what makes it your presence. And Lord, I thank you that we've never known a moment outside of your presence, but Lord, I pray that we would know it so clearly right now that we are smack dab in the middle of your heart right now. Lord, make yourself known, make yourself clear, make yourself available. And we thank you for it right now. Lord, I'm asking that in the next couple moments as I begin to talk about the things that you've put on my heart, Lord, that it wouldn't be me talking, it would be you. Lord, get me out of the way. Lord, put me on like a glove tonight and do your thing. Lord, help us to leave tonight saying, wow, what a savior, not wow, what a sermon. And I thank you for it right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on, give me a Texas. Come on, come on, I like it. Hey, I have to say, um, Beth and I are creeping up on two years of marriage. Would you believe it? Holla 
at your boy if you see him in the street. Okay, like I love it, all right? Um, it's been almost two years that we've been married. August 8th, we got married 8-8-2020, okay? Yes, we got, middle, we got married in the middle of the pandemic, okay? So it was crazy. Um, so we're creeping up on, on two years. So you have to understand this. For those of you who don't know our story, um, I am from San Angelo. I was born at Shannon Medical Hospital downtown, that red building. It was my first building to ever be in, right? Okay, it was the first one. And so I was born there, but Beth, uh, she's from Indiana, okay? And people are like, how did y'all meet? And I'm like, hey, we met, on this little, we met on this little dating app you've probably never heard of. It's called Instagram, all right? So <laughs> we met on this little obscure dating app, you know, Instagram. And so this is my claim to fame. She's gonna get so mad at me for saying this, but I have the mic strapped to my head, okay? I get to talk, all right? She slid in my DMs. Come on, guys. That's my claim to fame. That's a woman of faith. That's a woman of faith right there. She named it and claimed it, all right? So she was scoping, she was hoping, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got these all day long, I'm a preacher. So we're, we're, we're creeping up on two years. So she was in Indiana, I was in Texas. And so obviously we did a season of our relationship. It was long distance. Now I'll say this, we dated for a whopping 50 days. We dated for 50 days. Then we were engaged for 77 days and tied the knot, okay? Now I'm just saying, some of you are like, Pastor Keenan and Beth like knew each other less than two months and got engaged. That is how God sometimes does relationships. That is not how God does relationships, okay? I'm just telling you that is not permission for you to go grab the first guy you see and beg him to marry you, okay? I'm just letting you know right now. Okay, I know it's spring and ring by spring would have to be really quick, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, we're, we're creeping up on two years. And so obviously our, our, our relationship was long distance. So we had to, we had to do a lot of the, the digital getting to know each other. And one of the ways we did that was we used this little app you've never heard of. It was called Snapchat, okay? And uh, I'm just gonna be honest. Can I just out myself? I'll out, my, out myself right now. I asked for her number. Uh, excuse me, I asked for her Snapchat before I asked for her number. That is not the, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Give me it. Anyone got a tomato? I wore a red shirt on purpose, okay? <laughs> All right, I'm ready for them. Okay, listen to me, guys. That is not the way to do it, okay? Thank God, thank God she saw my heart. I had zero nefarious intent. Like there was no, there was no scheming behind that. I just enjoy face-to-face -face interaction. So I just thought, hey, it'd be cool if I'd be like, and she's like, you know, and then we were just like talking like that versus like texting. Um, I now know that that like looks really bad. Okay, but she got to know me and she realized that wasn't how I roll. So we're snapping. So consequently, we end up forming what you know as a, a snap streak, right? We have a snap streak. And then eventually she comes to San Angelo, long story short, and we're hanging out. And uh, I have to tell you, um, it was kind of unhealthy how important our snap streak was to me, okay? <laughs> like it was, it was literally like, I need help, okay? And so our, our snap streak got really important. And one day we were here in San Angelo, we were hanging out and we got to the end of the day and I checked my phone because I didn't have any reason to be on my phone. The love of my life was with me, you know? And I checked my phone. I needed to say that to remind myself not to be on my phone because now I can be on my phone sometimes. But I checked my phone, I'm just tattling tonight. I'm just tattling on myself. I checked my phone and I, I, I like refreshed our Snapchat and I saw that our streak was gone. Our streak was gone. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you, okay? I'm in church, like I'm, I'm on a stage, I'm accountable for every word I say right now, okay, before God at the great white throne judgment. I really will be. Um, I freaked out, 
I'm not gonna lie. I freaked out. I said, I said, babe, our snap streak is gone. She's like, yeah. Like, whatever, we're hanging out in person. Like, like, what does it matter? Like, you have me. I was like, no, I, I know, like, I prefer you in person, but this is important, okay? For some reason, it really bothered me if somebody had a longer snap streak with my girl than I did. Now, thankfully, I picked a girl who wasn't, like, snapping a bunch of dudes, so all of her streaks were with her girlfriends, okay? But it still bothered me, okay? I did not like the fact that she had a longer streak with them and had a streak with them at all because now I did not have a streak with her at all, okay? And I remember I freaked out in that moment and thank God, like I came to a little bit later. I, I began to, you know, breathe. She handed me the paper bag and I breathed in it. And we were okay, you know what I mean? Got some oxygen, whatever. Um, but I realized in that moment that I had put way too much weight on that because I really felt like part of our relationship was tainted. Like I really felt like there's a piece of me you now don't have because we're not we don't have a snap streak. And I know that that's such a, that honestly is ridiculous. And somebody probably needs to check me into a counselor. Okay, I, I need help. I'm just trying to bear my soul before you tonight. But I think that really does show us, even on a micro level, how much ending a streak can do to you. How much dropping a streak, how much losing a streak can do. If it can do that with Snapchat, how much more can it do whenever you've got, you've been on a, st a streak of sobriety? You've been going a, a week, then you make it a whole month, then all of a sudden you make it a whole year and you're doing great. You're, you're killing it, man. You haven't, you haven't touched that thing. You haven't touched the syringe. You haven't touched that bottle. And then all of a sudden, uh, late one night after a long day, you cave. And in that moment, it can easily begin to feel like that one moment of weakness, that one moment of frailty completely overshadows all of the good that has just happened, completely overshadows it. And can I be honest with you tonight? I think that is exactly what it feels like when you have been walking with God your entire life and then you step into a season of doubt. Step into a season of doubt. What happens when you lose your faith streak? What happens when all of a sudden you've been going year after year after year and then you get into college and everything you knew to be true feels shaky, feels under fire, feels like it's being held in question and now you yourself begin to hold in question the very thing you used to hold on to. And all of a sudden you lose what happens when you begin to lose your faith? And I understand that tonight I'm speaking to a larger audience and that we have an audience online as well. So I understand that some of you tonight, you don't have a faith streak. You don't have a, a years of, of walking with God that you have accumulated. I understand that tonight some of you could just kind of be kicking the tires of Christianity, so to speak. You're just kind of checking this thing out. But for some of us who live in the Bible Belt, we've been doing this a long time. We've been believing a long time. Our entire identity is wrapped up in a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And all of the sudden, when push comes to shove, you feel like you're losing your faith. What happens when you begin to doubt the thing you used to hold on to? Can I just tell you right now, I know I'm going to get to this in a moment, but we all doubt our faith. 
can I just kind of let the air out of the room, so to speak? I felt the oxygen leave for a second, okay? I just kind of need you to breathe, okay? Can I be real? I have doubted my faith. And it wasn't when I was 10 years old. It wasn't when I was 15 years old. It wasn't when I was 20 years old. I started doubting my faith when I was 26 years old. And I'm not talking like literally on the edge of throwing it out the window. I'm not trying to create this crazy story that I never lived, but I'm trying to be honest tonight that in the middle of leading a ministry and in the middle of preaching, not just here locally, but around the country, I began to question the very thing I was preaching. So I just wanna say that tonight to let you know that if you walked in here with doubts, you were not a freak. God is not put off by you. You're not a disgrace. You're not sacrilegious. In fact, I think you are on the very road to being the closest with God you've ever been. You just don't know it. I think your doubts are proof. You're uncomfortable with the state your relationship with God is in and it's time for something to change, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You ever dealt with a season of doubt? This is exactly where we find John here in Matthew chapter 11. Now, before I tell you why this is so crazy that we find John doubting in Matthew chapter 11, before I begin to tell you about John, I need to let you know which John we are not talking about, okay? Because here in Matthew chapter 11, this is not the apostle John. This is not the Apostle John. This is not the John that, you know, wrote the book of John. This is not the guy who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is not the guy who wrote the book of Revelation, okay? It's not that John. The John we are looking at tonight is a guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And the reason it is so crazy to me that we darken the doorstep of Matthew chapter 11 and we find John the Baptist questioning Jesus, it blows my mind because I know where John came from. You have to understand that before this moment, we find him in Matthew chapter 11, John was probably the biggest and baddest dude out there outside of Jesus. It's whenever he's doing things for God, I mean, any guy who's like actually out there on the forefront taking ground for the kingdom, okay, it is John the Baptist. You have to understand, John's fire for God started before he was even born. John's fire for God started before he was born. Oh, you don't believe me? Check out Luke chapter one. I'm not gonna take you there, but you can, you can fact check me. Luke chapter one, this is before Jesus is even born, okay? We see in Luke chapter one that Mary walks into a place. She is pregnant with Jesus, Mary, the Virgin Mary. She's pregnant with Jesus and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She walks into the house and Elizabeth herself is pregnant too. And when Mary walks in, pregnant with the savior of the world, the baby inside of Elizabeth's stomach jumped. Literally, she said, the baby within me just leapt whenever you walked in the room carrying the child you're carrying. He literally jumped inside the womb. Somehow, John was innately in tune with the spirit enough that even in the womb, and Jesus was in her womb, he still recognized divinity just entered the room. Somehow he recognized God is in this place even from the womb before he got, was even born, before he got started. So all of a sudden, that's not John's biggest and baddest thing he ever did. All of a sudden, John is born and he begins to live his life. John is the guy who literally was prophesied he would prepare the way of the Lord. He would prepare the way of the Lord. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter three, verse three. Matthew chapter three in verse three. We should have it on the screen. It said this, 
This is he, he being John, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist. This is hundreds of years before John the Baptist was ever born, that a prophet prophesied what he would do. It says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist is a big deal. Like the Old Testament warned everybody, yo, John is so big and so bad, I need to let you all know he's coming. Way ahead of time. You need to know, okay, John the Baptist is coming. John the Baptist is coming, okay? This is literally what the Old Testament prophets are screaming at us. John's a big deal. Not only that, but John also is the one who famously said, I must decrease so that he can increase. You ever heard that scripture? People say, I gotta get out of the way so that Jesus can be a big deal. John was the one who originally said that. John was the one who made it cool. John was saying it before you could get a tattoo of it. It's a big deal. And not only that, listen to me, John baptized Jesus. If there's anybody who has ever been close to Jesus, it's his cousin, Who baptized him? Not only, I don't know if you remember the baptism of Jesus, kind of a big deal. Okay, whenever John baptized Jesus, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit decided to show up. He literally descended like a dove and and rested on Jesus. But not only did the Holy Spirit decide to show up, God the Father decided to make a cameo appearance. So John is sitting there holding Jesus, the Son, The Holy Spirit shows up, the Spirit, and then the Father begins to speak from the sky. The very first time the entire Trinity shows up on the planet in one moment, John's there watching it. Wow! You know what I mean? Like, John has a front row seat. And guess what the voice said? This was not an internal little unction that Jesus felt. Oh, I just felt really affirmed by my father. You know, it wasn't that. This was literally the audible voice of God that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well, well, please, please, please. John heard those words. The voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That's Matthew 3. We fast forward to Matthew 11. That same guy is now sitting in jail going, are you even real? Are you really the guy? Are you really who we thought you were? Or should we be like looking for somebody else? Should we be looking around for somebody else to show up? Jesus, are you really Jesus? Or should we kind of be scoping and hoping for somebody else? John has been thrown into a moment of doubt. And the reason I tell you all that about John and then show you he's in a moment of doubt is to prove to you anyone can get in a moment of doubt. If John the Baptist could find himself in a moment of doubt, anybody can be thrown into a moment of doubt. You are not a bad person because you doubt. You're not. Let me as a pastor affirm your heart tonight. You are not a bad person because you have doubts. You can have your doubts, just don't you you dare let your doubts have you. John doubted. Because the reason is, if if we don't know that guys like John can find themselves doubting Jesus, we will condemn ourselves when we doubt Jesus. If we don't know that the biggest and baddest of them all didn't didn't have a, a, a flawless streak when it came to doubting, 
then we will condemn ourselves. We will begin to feel like we are disqualified because of our doubts. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt disqualified by your doubts? And maybe if you didn't feel disqualified, you felt discounted. Like I've not been kicked out, but I've definitely been diminished. He's not completely thrown me away, but yeah, I definitely kind of went down the totem pole. John the Baptist doubted. And here's what I love. We see that John the Baptist vocalizes his doubt in Matthew 11, three, that's verse three, okay? If we skip ahead eight verses, John says, hey, I'm doubting you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, if we skip ahead eight verses, we see what Jesus has to say about him after he found out he doubted. Let's throw it up. Matthew 11, verse 11. Matthew 11, 11. Jesus says this. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. This is what Jesus says, not before John doubts. This is what Jesus says right after John doubted. It wasn't like years later and John had kind of really cleaned up his act and those doubting days were behind him and he had kind of proved himself yet again. He had been really militant. He had really gone out on a few faith limbs, if you know what I'm talking about. And he had kind of strutted his stuff. No, this is right after he found that Jesus found out he was doubting. He says, there ain't nobody better than John the Baptist. Of all the people who have ever lived, guess who he's counting in that? David, Abraham, the patriarchs of our faith, the pillars of our faith in the Old Testament. He said, out of all those guys in my book, there's nobody better than John. This is right after John doubts. Listen to me, your doubts do not disqualify you to God. They don't. Your, faith, your doubts do not discount your faith. I really felt this strong tonight for somebody, that it is okay to admit you question things. It's okay to admit, yeah, I got some unanswered questions. Yeah, I got some stuff going on. Yeah, I don't know it all. John did. And notice what Jesus did on the other side of it. He affirmed him. What would Jesus do to you if you dared get honest about your doubt tonight? If you dared get honest about your doubt, what might Jesus say to you? I have no idea. I think it's something similar to what he told John, but you'll only get to find out if you get honest. You'll only get to find out if you get honest. But nonetheless, even though God doesn't discount us because of our doubt, John, he doubts. And the reason he is doubting here is because I told you, um, <laughs> he's been thrown in prison. That's not a fun place to be. He's literally been thrown into prison. I don't know about you, but prison's a pretty dark season. Prison's a pretty dark place. And here's the temptation. It is really easy to begin to doubt when you find yourself in the dark. It is so easy to begin to doubt when you find yourself in a dark season. Can I be real? We don't get to pick the seasons we walk through. You don't get to pick your season, but you can pick your spirit. You don't get to, you don't get to pick what you walk through. You only get to pick how you walk through. That's what I'm trying to say. How you walk through is on you. What you walk through is not always on you. Now let's be real. Sometimes we walk through stuff we could have avoided. 
we could have avoided. Let's just be real in church tonight, okay? Lightning ain't gonna strike because God loves us too much, but let's just be real, all right? Let's be real. We, there are some things we could have avoided, but not everything can be avoided. And John finds himself in a dark season, and it's really easy to find yourself doubting when you're in the dark. And this is what I felt the Lord wanted to tell you tonight. If you find yourself doubting in the dark, God says this, don't doubt in the dark what I told you in the light. Do not doubt in the dark what I told you in the light. It gets real easy to hoop and holler, God loves me, praise the Lord, amen, brother. And then you go home and you lose that sobriety streak. You, you, you lose that sexually pure streak. And it's on the other side of that that you've still got to believe in the dark what he told you in the light, that you're mine you're loved. Nothing can snatch you from the palm of my hand. The worst demon in hell couldn't do it. You can't even do it. It's in the dark that we need what he said in the light. Don't you dare, don't you dare doubt in the dark what God spoke to you in the light. So John's in prison. Now, let me real quickly tell you why he's in prison. The reason John's in prison is because he was a bit of a <laughs> loud mouth, okay? He was a bit of a loud mouth and he was not afraid of conflict, okay? Kind of like some of you. You are not afraid of conflict. Some of you need to get a healthy fear of conflict, okay? I pray the healthy fear of the Lord of conflict comes over you tonight, okay? Because some of you are like itching to get in a fight, okay? I'm like, dude, Lay off it, bro. Okay, so some of you are just like John. John was not afraid of nobody. So all of a sudden he caught word that the king, his name was Herod, King Herod, guess what he had done? He had taken his brother's wife and began to sleep with her. King Herod had a brother named Philip. His wife was a girl by the name of Herodias. And evidently Herod and Herodias, they were like, our names are so similar, we gotta get it on, okay? That's kind of what they thought. They're like, yo girl, meet me in the back, okay? And they met in the back multiple times. Evidently so much so, John the Baptist got wind of it. And he said, not on my watch. He said, not on my locust eating, honey drinking watch, okay? That's really what he did. And he walks up into the palace of the king and he's like, yo, Herod, why are you sleeping with your brother's girl, bro? What's wrong with you? Let the fear of God come over you, man. Jesus Christ. We love you, God. You know? <laughs> I used to so see him doing that. You know what I mean? Scott. You know? I see him doing that. He just rolls up in there. Dude, what's wrong with you? Okay. He totally rips Herod up one side and down the other. Some of you seen that video. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, yo, I don't follow Christian crap. You're better for it. Okay. You're better for it. So he walks up in there and he begins to rip Herod up one side and down the other. And Herod didn't like it. <laughs> Would you believe that? He didn't like it. Okay, so much so he threw John in jail, threw him in prison. So he throws him in prison and all of a sudden John finds himself in the dark. Notice, 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 notice. He's in the dark for doing the right thing. He's in the dark after doing the right thing. Isn't that the most frustrating thing about our faith? Evidently someone over here agrees, okay? <laughs> Isn't that the most frustrating thing? That you can do, listen to me, you can do the right thing and end up in the wrong place. You can do the right thing and end up in the wrong place. And listen to me, that's because God never said that when you do everything right, it would go right. He said he'd make it right. He would make it right. Just because you do it all right doesn't mean it'll always go right. It just means he's going with you, that you're blessed no matter where the sole of your foot treads. That's the truth. 
So he finds himself in this pit. He finds himself in this place. And all of a sudden, the Bible said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It said that all of a sudden, John heard the reports about Jesus. Notice that language. It says it, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Notice, John is no longer experiencing Jesus firsthand. He is now having to live off of what other people are telling him about Jesus. And it is real easy to enter into a place of doubt when you are no longer experiencing Jesus for yourself, you are living through other people's faith. It gets real easy to doubt your own faith when you are living off someone else's. And some of you, that's why you've tried to live off your mom and dad's faith for as, about as long as you can. And God's saying, it's, it's weaning day. It is weaning day. It is time to wean you off because guess what? God does not have grandchildren. He doesn't. You don't get to go to heaven because your daddy served the Lord. That's not how it goes. God only has kids. And if you're not one of them, you need to be. It's time for you to accept him as your Lord, as your savior. Because it's real easy to begin to doubt when you haven't even made your faith your own. When you're living off someone else's faith. John is hearing about the reports of Jesus and begins to doubt what's going on. And normally, I want to point this out to you. Normally in the scriptures, when we find somebody hearing the reports of Jesus, it produces faith in them. I mean, that's what we see with the woman with the issue of blood, right? The Bible said this, that she heard the reports about Jesus and faith entered her body, that faith began to rise in her soul so much so that she darkened the doorstep of her house and risked her life to find Jesus. Usually when people hear about Jesus, they're filled with faith. John wasn't. John heard about Jesus and was filled with doubt. John heard about Jesus and thought, no, this is, this is not so. Are you the guy or should we look for somebody else? And this is why, because what he heard about Jesus wasn't what he had thought Jesus was supposed to be doing. He thought Jesus was supposed to be up to something else. So when he heard what Jesus was actually doing, he began to crumble. That little thread and the whole thing came crumbling down. And this is what I wanna tell you tonight. God is not obligated to your expectation of him. He is obligated to his word. God is not obligated to what you thought he was supposed to do. Well, if he's God, then he should be up to this. He ain't obligated to what your little pea-sized brain and my little pea-sized brain thought he should be up to. He's obligated to what he has written. He's obligated to what he ever said. No word from this book will fall to the ground. No one will return void. But our expectations, listen to me, they can lead to disappointment. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Disappointment always leaves an open door for doubt. Disappointment is the first step in the direction of doubt. John's disappointed thought Jesus was supposed to be doing this. Now we have to ask, what did he think Jesus was supposed to be doing? Well, if we read Matthew chapter three, we find that he thought Jesus was gonna be judging everybody. You read Matthew chapter three, the way John talks to everybody, he surely thinks when the Messiah shows up, which he knew it was Jesus, he's gonna be judging everyone. 
Go home and read Matthew chapter three for yourself. See everything John the Baptist says. He is very judgy, okay? He is very judgy. We, I'd have to have multiple conversations with him if he was on our serve team. I'm like, bro, I'm so glad you love Jesus, but tone it down, okay? <laughs> you love Jesus and you hate people. Not a great combination, okay? This is not good, all right? John's kind of that way, okay? He is, he, he's thinking that Jesus showed up to judge. So when all of a sudden he catches wind that Jesus is healing people, Jesus is feeding multitudes and Jesus is giving sermons about loving your enemy and like praying for those who persecute you. And if somebody smacks one of your cheeks, let them hit the other one. John's like, what is wrong with you, bro? Like what? Are you the guy or not? I thought you were supposed to be doing this and you're out there petting children and being nice and throwing roses and tossing out free candy, okay? What is this, what is this about John's expectation open room for disappointment? And his, his disappointment was breeding ground for doubt. Every time we begin to doubt, it opens a door for disappointment. So all of a sudden he's, he's sitting there and he's like, yo, Jesus, I thought you were gonna be doing this. I thought this was the way it was gonna go. And Jesus replies like this. Let's throw it up. Matthew chapter 11, verse four and five. It says this, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. And then he gives a list of what people are seeing and hearing. He says this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have been, who have had leprosy, they're even cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He lists all these things. Now, you and I look at that and be like, that's such a nice resume, Jesus. You know, you're such a good guy. <laughs> good way to keep up morale, all right? That's what we think. Jesus, you're such a good guy. You're a philanthropist, okay? Wow. But listen to me, you have to understand, you have to understand that what Jesus is doing is not just listing a bunch of nice things he's already done. No, he's listing the things he is doing that was prophesied he would do. He's listing the things that John should know. These are indicators of the Messiah. Um, newsflash, John, you have forgotten the scriptures, you have held onto your expectation closer than you did the word of God. And Jesus has to lovingly bring John back to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says this. In fact, I'll just turn to the gospel of Luke where Jesus himself reads it. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 21. It says this, let's throw it up. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Uh, newsflash, Jesus made a custom of going to church. Jesus made it a custom. It wasn't like every once in a while. He wasn't like a CEO Christian. You know what I'm talking about? Christmas and Easter only, okay? Um, he wasn't that kind of guy. He was like, yo, it's my custom to go to church. That was just free, point it out. You wanna be like Jesus, go to church. He says, as was his custom. He stood up to read and it says this, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. It says this, he found the place it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to play, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that sound at all similar to the list Jesus gave John? It's almost verbatim the list. Jesus gave John, and then he gave him some extras. This is what some of these things actually look like in real life. It's the blind eyes are opening, that the lepers are being cleansed. This is what he says. He says, hey, John, you're doubting? Let me walk you back to the word. 
And here's what I found. I have found that so many of us, when we begin to doubt, the last place we try to, we go to, to exterminate our doubt is the word of God. We either go to professors, we go to lofty thinkers, we go to YouTubers and Instagrammers and, and, and well-meaning grandmas with quilted pillows, okay? We, we go to all these people. And what we end up being is what Mary was in Luke 24. In Luke 24 on Resurrection Sunday, she came to the tomb, looked inside looking for Jesus, and he wasn't there. And the angel turned to her and asked her a question. He says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's what we're doing. When we go to our professors to try to back up our faith, we are looking for the living among the dead. When we go to philosophy to try to back up our faith, we are looking for the living among the dead. What tombs have you been trying to find Jesus in lately? What tombs have you been trying to find Jesus in lately? Because I'm telling you right now, he ain't there. And it's no wonder that our doubt just gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced the more tombs we try. All of a sudden we find Jesus says, no, no, John, you got to go back to the Bible. You got to go back to the scriptures. This is the way it's supposed to go. What Jesus is doing is giving him what he already had, but showing him in a new light. He's saying, hey, you already had the answer. Let me just show you it in a new light. What he's doing is saying, hey, look at this from my perspective. You know, that's what God's doing every time you doubt. He's not condemning you. He's saying, hey, why don't you look at your situation from my perspective? Why don't you look at it from heaven's eye view? Why don't you look at it from my vantage point? He's inviting him to see the same situation, the same information, but see it through his eyes. Because I'm telling you right now, that is where things change. We find this over, Jesus does the same thing. He, he, he does the same trick in Luke 24 with some guys on the road to Emmaus. Some of you know the story. There's these two dudes. They were so distraught over the fact that Jesus died. Jesus shows up. They don't realize it's Jesus. I don't know if Jesus had like little glasses and a mustache and a big old nose. You know what I mean? I have no idea. But he shows up and they're so distraught. And he begins to show them in the scriptures why he had to die. He begins to take them back to the Bible they already had, to the scroll they already had, and says, hey, 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 you already had the answer, but let me show you it again. Let me show you it in a new light you never saw it before. Will you give space to, for God to show you what you've already seen, but in a new light? Or are you so arrogant to think that because you read that scripture, you already know it? Are you that arrogant? I pray to God, I pray to God I'm not. I pray to the Lord that every time I approach the scriptures, he has full permission to show me something he's never showed me before. He says, hey, I know you read this already, but let me show you something new. Let me take you higher. Let me take you to my vantage point. I wanna prove this to you, that God's vantage point is so much better than ours. And I actually wanna use the Bible to do it. Can we, have like a, can we have like a class session real quick? Can we like step into a theology classroom real quick? Can I become prof Professor Keenan? Okay, I'm gonna set aside Pastor Keenan for a second, Preacher Keenan, okay? And I'm gonna become Professor Keenan. Can I get my whiteboard and my two helpers real quick? Miguel and John, come on. I got a whiteboard and everything. I got a whiteboard and everything, okay? Professor. Keenan, we're going to have it. We didn't have a really great easel, so we have two great easels right here. <laughs> they are so much stronger and so much better looking, I might add. I'm 6'2", so you're going to have to bring it up here. Okay, cool. All right, can the, can the camera see me? Can the camera see me? Okay. Can everybody see this thing? Okay. 
Okay, to, in order for me to show you this, I want to take you to Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2. Again, um, I'm not actually going to go there myself. I'm just telling you where you can look so that you can fact check me. Listen to me. I want you fact checking me. I do not want you taking everything that is said from this stage and just believing it. I want you digging in the word for yourself. Let me know if I ever get anything wrong. Let me know if you find that I'm off. Because listen to me, I want you in the word. I'm not up here just hoping you, you, you think I'm the smartest. I want you to fact check this stuff. But if you wanna fact check this moment, it's found in Numbers chapter two. Okay, here we go. Numbers chapter two, we see that the, the people of Israel have already vacated um, Egypt. Everybody familiar with them leaving Egypt? Moses kind of said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, come on. Oh baby, let my people go. Uh, if you knew that song, we're gonna have a special prayer service. If you knew that song, we're having a special prayer service because that means you're a church kid and you need deliverance, okay? So they vacated, they vacated Egypt and now they are in the wilderness. And God gives Moses and Moses' brother Aaron instructions on how they are to camp. God says, here's the formation I want you to camp in. Now listen to me, this is gonna seem like, you're gonna wonder why the heck am I showing you this? You're like, I'm never coming back to this church ever again. Give me five minutes, okay? Give me five minutes. This is gonna be so cool. This is the kind of stuff that jazzes me when I find it in the scriptures. Numbers chapter two, jazz, okay? It's amazing. So all of a sudden, so all of a sudden we see here in Numbers chapter two that God tells them a certain formation to camp in, okay? Now, after remember, there were certain tribes that the people were in, okay? There's like the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Dan, okay? You know, like if your name's Dan, you're a tribe. Okay, how cool is that? Okay, they have all these tribe names. And so God begins to group them. Listen to me, don't miss this. He begins to group them according to their tribe, okay? And this is the first thing God says. He says, in the middle of your camp, needs to be the tent of meeting. Needs to be the tent of meeting. This is the tent of meeting. Now, just to break this down, the tent of meeting was basically the church, okay? The tent of meeting was essentially where the presence of God dwelt. Now, here on this side of the cross, we don't have to go to a certain tent of meeting um, because now God does not dwell in lofty religious buildings. He dwells in his people. You are now the tent of meeting is what I'm trying to say, okay? But it wasn't so in this day. So God says, hey, Put the tent of meeting at the center of the camp. Now that'll preach. God says, put my presence at the center. Put my presence at the center. At the center of all the life, put my presence smack dab in the middle. This is also saying everybody has equal access to the presence. That there's not somebody closer to the presence than another group. Okay, this is really good. This has always been God's heart. I hope you see this. God, God is for people, man. So all of a sudden God says, okay, put, put, the, put the tent of presence in the middle. And then he goes, all right, and to the West. Now you have to understand they were traveling West. So I understand on a normal map, North is up. Okay, normally North is up, but they were traveling West. Does anyone know where they were traveling? The promised land. Okay, that's where they're going. The promised land. Okay, so we got West, we got South, we got East, and we got north because they're headed west, okay? The sun rises in the east, sets in the west. So they are headed west. And he says, hey, I want you to get the entire tribe of Ephraim and, and put them to the west of the tent of meeting. Sounds kind of crazy. This sounds kind of weird. Like, why are you being so specific, God? Why are you being sp so specific? And he says, put the entire tribe of Ephraim here. And there was 108,000 people in the tribe of Ephraim. This is the smallest one. 
the smallest one. So then he goes, okay, to the south, I want you to put the tribe of Reuben. In the tribe of Reuben, there are 151, 400,000 people. There are 151,400 people. I said that wrong the first time. Okay, 151,000. That's a lot, okay? 151,000 people. I promise you this is going to be so cool in a second. Then he says, to the east, I want you to put the tribe of Dan. Or sorry, to the... Am I doing this right? Am I already off? Oh my God. No, I'm not off. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Then he says this, down here to the east, I want you to put the tribe of Judah, okay? And the tribe of Judah is the biggest one. And there's 186,000 people in this tribe. And then he says, but to the north, I want you to put the tribe of Dan and there's 157,000 people. People. Now, obviously, there, were, there wasn't an even number. There was some change, and the Bible says the change, but for this illustration, it doesn't need to be said. Okay, so all of a sudden, notice this. We see here, small group, semi-big group, semi-big group, largest group. Now, you can imagine on the floor, on the ground, when everybody's on earth, everybody's looking around going, okay, God's got us in these groups, and now I just see a bunch of people, okay? Like there's the tent of meeting and there's just a bunch of those, the, the tribe of Ephraim. Here's a bunch of the, the, the Reubens. Here, oh, hey, there's old Dan over there. And oh, hey, Judah's taking up the caboose, okay? Like it just looks like a bunch of people until we begin to look from heaven's perspective. Let's begin to think, what does this look like from the sky? We begin to think, okay, well, this group of people is kind of small. So this is gonna be the smallest body of people connected to the presence. And then this group, it's, it's semi-big, so we'll, we'll say this is gonna be. And then this one's a very similar number. It's 6,000 off, but I mean, from the sky, that's probably gonna look the same. So we're gonna say this, and then this is obviously the largest group of people. So we have that. Booyah. It's a cross. All they saw were people. All they saw was annoyance. God looks down and sees his people. He says, that's what it's all about. It's about the cross. He sees, he makes them walk through the desert in the form of a cross. Listen to me, the cross hadn't even been invented yet. So even if they had climbed up on a mountain and saw, and like, that's a weird figure, they would just think it was a weird shape because they don't know what the cross signifies. But listen to me, you and I here today in 2022, we know what the cross signifies. I'm telling you, when you begin to look with heaven's perspective, you begin to see that what seems mundane, what seems weird, the things God's asking me to do, there's a purpose behind it. There's a message being sent. The things I've been doubting, I can now dive into. The things that I have been doubting, I can now dive into. Let's give it up for these guys. Come on, thank you guys so much. You guys can get... But I'm telling you, man, and we can have Cody come up. I'm beginning to wide down. Cody, wherever you're at, you can come play. But I'm telling you right now, if we would dare to look from heaven's perspective, get heaven's vantage point on our lives, get heaven's vantage point on who Jesus is. Can I tell you right now that Jesus is not up for your interpretation? He is self-defining. God is self-defining. We have a lot of people who are like, well, God's this to me. I don't really care who, what God is to you. I know who God is. 
you need to be on track with who he is, not who is he to me. Now to you, he is a father. To you, he is the lover of your soul. To you, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is all of those things, but that is because he has defined himself as those things. And we've got to allow who God, what, what, the way God defines things to begin to morph and shape and deal with our doubt. God's saying, hey, I really feel like this tonight for somebody. I promise I'm winding down. I really feel like God is saying this to somebody tonight. Would you dare in the midst of your doubt to look at it how I look at it? I really feel God saying this, look again. I know you're about to walk out. I know you're about to throw it all away, but would you give me half a second? Look again. And I believe God's ready to, sh to shine a new light on some places you have felt you have been in the dark. Don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. But this is how the story ends with John. All of a sudden, Jesus didn't stop there. He said, verse six in Matthew chapter 11, he said, hey, John, all these things are happening. You know, the blind see, the, the good news is preached to the poor, all of this stuff points him back to the scriptures. But then he ends with verse six. And I wanna throw verse six up. It says this, blessed is anyone. This is what Jesus says to John. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, listen to me, does not stumble on account of me. You have to understand this word stumble in the original language, it, it, it literally paints a picture of a rock that has been strategically placed in your path to try to trip you up. That's literally the language. It is a rock that is there, placed there strategically in order to make sure you fall. And isn't that what the enemy does with our doubt? He places it strategically in our path. And as we are just trying to do our best to follow the Lord, all of a sudden we darken the doorstep of a season of doubt. The enemy puts something for you to stumble over. All of a sudden, this is just kind of how I see it. The enemy brings a stumbling block. And you're doing your best to follow the Lord. You're doing your best to love the Lord. You're doing your best to lean in. You're walking with him. Maybe you've been walking with him for a long time. And then all of a sudden the enemy puts in your path something to stumble over. And I think when we stumble, it gets real easy to hit the stumbling block. And just go, okay, I'm done. I'll park it. I stumbled over it. It was a good run, but I guess I'm done. When we enter into a season of doubt, it gets real easy to put our faith in park. But this is what God told me about the stumbling block. This is what God told me. This is what I preached this whole message to tell you tonight. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is what God told me about the stumbling block. Are you ready? The very thing the enemy intended for you to stumble over, God says, if you'll trust me, you can stand on. The very thing the enemy intended for you to stumble over, you can stand on. The thing that was meant to take you out, the thing that was sent to destroy your faith can actually build your faith. Because listen to me, my Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. 
that our God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for our good. Would you dare to let God turn your doubt around? Would you dare to let God take what the enemy meant for you to stumble over and say, hey, I know it's a stumbling block, but actually this is a stepping stone. This is a stepping stone. What this is, it's not an, obs- it's not, it's not an obtrusion to your faith. It's an invitation to a higher faith. Your doubt is an invitation to a higher, more rich, life-giving faith than you've ever experienced in your life. I'm telling you, will you let God take the stumbling block and turn it into a stepping stone? Take the stumbling block and turn it into a stepping stone. But God will, God will, God will take it. God will make sure you can stand on it when you do, but it's up to you to put your feet on it. It's up to you to put your feet on. And Jesus said this, blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. Notice what Jesus is saying. This is where we're completely done. I know it's like my fourth time to close, but it's where we're completely done. He said, blessed is he who doesn't stumble on account of me. What is Jesus asking? He's saying, hey, would you, would you give me the benefit of the doubt? Would you give me the benefit of your doubt? I know that, your doubt's real. And guess what? When you doubt, you're gonna give something the benefit of the doubt. Most of the time we give our doubt the benefit of the doubt. We give the enemy the benefit of the doubt. And all God's saying is, I'm not asking for you to completely conquer your doubt. I'm asking for you in the middle of your doubt to give me the benefit of the doubt. When somebody says, would you give me the benefit of the doubt? What they're asking is, would you lean on what you know about me? That's what they're asking. Hey, would you lean on what you know about me? In the middle of what you don't know, can you lean on what you do know? Take a step further, on who you do know. Would you give God the benefit of the doubt tonight? In any season of your life where doubt begins to creep in, I really, I really felt that this message was gonna become a mantra for somebody. That God, it becomes, it, comes, it becomes new vocabulary in your life with God. God, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt today. I'm not standing in perfect faith. I'm just giving you the benefit of the doubt. I think that's some of the most honoring faith you can give God. Is God saying, I'm, you saying, God, I'm giving you the benefit of my doubt. And right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, I wanna give anyone in here who's saying, Keenan, I'm ready to give God the benefit of the doubt. If you would say it's for the first time or for the first time in a long time, with nobody looking around, this is a private moment between you and the Lord. If you would say, Keenan, I'm ready to give God the benefit of my doubt. I'm gonna lean into him. I believe that what he did on the cross 2000 years ago for me, it's enough. And I say yes to him saying yes to me. If that's you for the first time or for the first time in a long time, you're saying, I'm ready to get saved, Kenan. I'm ready to give all my sin, all my transgressions, all my wrongdoing, all of the places I zigged when I should have zagged. I'm giving them all to Jesus. And even though I don't know exactly what he's gonna do with them, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and knowing that he can do something with what I can't get over. If that's you tonight, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Come on, three. Not a person in this room that needs this. Don't miss it. Don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't but nobody miss out on this. If you need to raise that hand, raise it high to heaven. You didn't come this far to doubt now. 
Raise it high to heaven, I'm pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every hand going up because that hand represents a heart, a life, an eternity that has just said yes to you. And Lord, I thank you right now that your grace is flooding that space. Lord, that you are doing for them what they cannot do for themselves, that you are pulling them from the miry clay and you are setting their feet on a rock, that you're taking the stumbling block and you're turning it into a stepping stone. And I thank you for it right now. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we put our hands together for what God just did? Come on.